Welcome to the very first episode of the OTL podcast, hosted by Colin Telford, Alan Porteous and Daniel Lambie. Dum, 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 In the week where Elton John played the Edry Stadium, we get together to record the first ever Only the Lonely podcast. And in that vein, I guess that's why they call it the Blues. We start with a nod back to the halcyon days when trips to Hamden weren't just for games against Queen's Park away. 25 years on from the Scottish Cup final against Rangers, we ask our panellists, where were you when we were good? From then till now, and as ownership changes shock the fans over the summer, we look back in the Witherspoon era and try to decide will he be looked back on as a rocket man or will we be happy for the sacrifice of his time and money to the club. On the park, it continues to be a case of sad songs for the Erdry faithful. After a disappointing result away to Aloha, our playoff record makes England's record in penalty shootouts look reasonable. We asked the panel to put their proposals forward for the long-term future of the club to make sure that we don't let the sun go down on the diamonds. And I'm joined on the first Only Lonely podcast by Alan Porteous. In his own words, a product of Bells Hill Maternity and one-time Young Diamond, Alan was a shareholder in the original Adrianians FC and is the author of such classic football works as Glory Hunting and Postcards from We Scottish Tunes. He's currently in between jobs, but doing a qualification in broadcasting, and so we hope that this will only add to his reputation. Welcome, Alan. Good to be here. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Alan. And I believe that you've been uh, working up an alter- alternative Elton John Greatest Hits for the Airdrie market. I don't know if you want to talk us through that. Oh, I have, yes, indeed. Um, Elton's top ten for an Airdrie audience, obviously without using Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, or Dark Diamond, that's a bit obvious. I guess that's why they call it the booze, that would be the obvious first one. <laughs> Benny and the Jet Wash, that'd be quite good. Uh, Black Eyes, as opposed to Blue Eyes. <laughs> Vandal in the Wind, an old favourite down Airdrie way. In view of the recent election, uh, we've got uh, Tory seems to be the hardest work. <laughs> hey. For all those against Tom Wotherspoon's vision of full-time football, part-time love. Uh, yeah, rocket man. That was an obvious one as well. Instead of the one, we've got the three in one. Uh, every night's all right for fighting. Uh, I'm still standing, despite my type 2 diabetes. Uh, goodbye, pothole yellow brick road and don't go breaking my heart disease statistics. <laughs> Every one a winner there, eh? Very good, very good. And I'm also joined by, uh, and not in his own words, because we're still waiting on his introduction to be sent through, uh, West Lothian Diamond, Danny Lambie. You will struggle to find an Airdrie fan as committed as Danny. He's involved in everything that's going on at Airdrie. Editor of Only the Lonely, driving force behind Sammy Shelter, trust committee member, one half of the Super Lambio brothers who masterminded the Aaron's Garden project last summer. Danny's also got a softer side. He's not afraid to slip on his wife's bra and record himself in his alias as Miss Venezuela for the Airdrie Facebook page. Welcome, Danny. I'm just looking for world peace. <laughs> and me, your host, Colin Telford, lawyer and would-be battler of the Lord Lion, I decided to fulfil my ambition to be Airdrie's answer to James Richardson by hosting this podcast. Now, I think for the purposes of full disclosure, we have to say that this isn't really the first Only the Lonely podcast. Uh, We three got together on Sunday afternoon uh, and we thought we had it in the can. However, uh, the can turned out to be a corrupted memory card. And so if you think this is bad, then I'm afraid this is our our second go at it. The last one was magic, I thought. (laughs) We were drunk on that day. 
I, I personally was rolling in the aisles. So you know, <laughs> if it's not if it's not as good this time, it's it's not our fault. <laughs> the idea for the podcast is that it should be um, a bit of fun. We want to take advantage of a different medium to discuss all things Airdrie. Hopefully, reconnect with some of the club's absentee fans. If we can bring anyone back uh, that way, that would be great. It needs to be said that the views expressed on the show are views of the panellists alone. None of us speaks on behalf of the club, the trust, or any other organisation or group. We'll start, we thought, with an icebreaker. So, the 9th of May 1992 is sadly over 25 years ago. Uh, and I thought it would be a good way to just to introduce ourselves, to just talk through what our memories and, and what that day looked like for, for us. So, Danny, I believe you weren't in Airdrie at the time, which made your, your cup final uh, had professional implications for you. Yeah, definitely. I was... Um I was a trainee manager for Sainsbury's at the time and I was uh, living in North London and I asked for the Saturday off and my boss wouldn't give it to me because it was stock take. So uh, I basically bunged off work that day and uh, I got the first train up in the morning at six o'clock in the morning, left King's Cross, got up to Glasgow and the place was watching my Rangers fans, made my way to to uh, Hamden and met my brother there. Uh, Enjoyed the game, then went and got steaming drunk afterwards. Um, got our, the windows panned in the bus on the way through the planes, <laughs> on the way back to Armadale. And um, then I got back to work on the Monday morning and had a formal written warning for my, for my pleasure. Again. <laughs> <laughs> was it worth it? It was. I said to my boss when he was giving me the formal written warning that it was more important to me to go and watch Airdrie than it was to uh, count tins of beans in a supermarket. So, Which was true. <laughs> and uh, how long did your there was your card marked from it that was point 18 forward? months it was a black mark on my my uh, record for 18 months so by the time we got to the next cup final it was almost it was almost past excellent uh, alan your your recollection of the day was it a saturday i can't remember that far back was <laughs> it a saturday um I, I i well i hadn't been very well which which was kind of bad in one sense but good in the other it kind of kept me out the pub so i do remember the game which is quite good um I remember getting there and there was Rangers fans in our end, which as always really annoys me, really annoys me. Um, I then th- remember thinking the game probably wasn't that great. I'm thinking the rest of Scotland are watching this and if you're not an Airdrie fan, you're really not going to be enjoying this greatly. Um, yet, I think we defended very well and I, rem- I, th- I remember thinking Alec McDonald's defensive setup against a much, much better team than us was, was absolutely fantastic. Um, and then there was that last nine minutes with after Andy Smith's goal that suddenly everything was possible. We got quite excited about that. Um, big disappointment. I didn't get one of those big daft rosettes like I did at the 1975 final. You know, remember the, the, the big huge things that your dad stapled onto the front of you and it had a big metallic tin cup with an edge on it that could slice your finger off. That was, uh, I didn't have that, and that was a bit disappointing. Um, even giving me a weapon of some sorts to stab those Rangers fans in the yeah. end. Um, no, but that, that's, what, that's kind of my, oh, and, uh, and all the, the Rangers fans, when we went back to Airdrie, all sloping off, looking quite embarrassed. Do you remember that, when the mm. bus was going round? Mm-hmm. As if we had won. That was, uh, I remember that quite a lot. Shame on them. Indeed. And from my perspective then, so I was only uh, seven at the time, uh, I remember travelling in one of the free buses, which I think the DLs put on. Um, my 
Ant appeared on the bus with a big bag of red and white picking mix from Woolworths for, uh, for me. Uh, Hardcore. Yeah, that was, that was like, <laughs> uh, I was up in the, the bad bus. Uh, the I the memory of the game is kind of just the end off it and Rangers really running the clock down, which must have been from Andy Smith's goal on. Uh, and, and it was pre-passback day, so it's kind of a classic Jimmy Sanderson move of getting it from the keeper, uh, giving it back to him and he could pick it up and just just eat into the time. Um, I remember being back at Broomfield uh, in English, we were trying to take the mic, getting shouted down with you what, and, and it was just a party atmosphere because we were on the way to Europe. Uh, and I know that we spoke about this last time around. Uh, I'm of a different view from you guys. I, I think that uh, I can't see us getting to another Scottish Cup final in, in my lifetime, and I think we should uh, we should be marking these occasions so 25 years on uh, I, I would do all that they could I would I would try and get Rangers back for a rematch at the Excelsior I think our, our guys went on to play junior football are probably a bit fitter and we might we might take them now and get the, the right result but I know Danny you kind of uh, you maybe think that dining out on our, our yesterdays isn't the way ahead No I mean I'm, a, I'm all for nostalgia and uh, I do appreciate it but I think what's going on at the club we need to be focusing on how we can rebuild us, and I'm not saying that we'll, we'll necessarily be in Europe or regularly in national cup finals, but the priority for me is getting us back into the championship and uh, you know focusing all our our attention on that at the minute. Anything else in the cup final that we? I do remember the pitch battles across the the, the old Ash Parks at Tory Glen as well between the Rangers and the the Airdrie fans and. Uh, that's now where the, the regional sports centre is. But um, I, I remember there was for, for, for comrades and uh, religion there was there was there wasn't much love lost between them after the game that day. Was there not a song going about? And I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about Airdrie's going to Europe and Celtic are going to Cambus Lang or something. Airdrie's uh, going to Europe, Celtic's going to Butlins. <laughs> However, <laughs> there was then an outbreak of war, which meant that that wasn't what happened. Uh, what in Butlins? Season. What was there uh, a, an but, outbreak of war in Butlins? Possibly down at Air. Uh, the prices, <laughs> the prices behind the bar or something. Or, they get fed up with raining all the time. Huh? The Noblenese contest. <laughs> it was the, the Noblenese contest was a fix. It was run by Kilmarnock <laughs> Football Club. And, and it sounds like a Father Ted episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just avoiding talking about the state of the club. <laughs> uh, and well, on that note, then Alan. So from then till now, uh, over the last few weeks, I guess now, I suppose, um, or sorry, over the last few weeks, I guess, uh, we have had. A few changes. So there's been a statement from the club, uh, and to pull out the main points from that, Tom Wotherspoon is considering his position as major shareholder. Uh, time is a challenge, and he needs to focus on his main business interests. He called for everyone to get behind the club, vocally and financially, to ensure its future well-being. Um, that was. So I read that, kind of thought there's nothing positive within there, especially that last statement, kind of calling for everyone to get behind it. He did kind of worry about what's 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 in store. Uh, there was then a subsequent story in the advertiser where he seemed to be making a statement that he would continue to fund the club, but not really with any money. Any, well, not with any <laughs> details to <laughs> what that meant. And I guess if you're the shareholder in an, or you're a shareholder in an organisation, you're not really bound to put any money in. It should be getting funded by 
gate receipts, investments, sponsorship money, whatever. So I'm not really clear what that would mean. Um, however, Dougie Alsop, who we and all Airtree fans will know, uh, he'd also had a word with, with Tom Witherspoon and that seemed to be reflected in what he said to, to Dougie. Uh, so we're kind of, we don't have that much clarity, but there's been that statement, there's been subsequent stories the manager subsequently resigned. Uh, we've lost Dean Russell as well. Uh, there hasn't been a new manager appointed. We haven't had any new players in. Uh, so I guess we don't really know where we are. So I thought it might be a, a good idea to just kind of for us to mull over the Warraspoon era, what was positive about it, uh, what might be looked back on fondly and where we think the, the failings are. Uh, might not be a bad thing to do at this, this point where we don't know how it's going to play out. Danny, I, I, mean, I know that you'd we'd kind of tried to carve this up, but it's probably better just to have a, a discussion on it. Would you want to kick us off? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think I think this time last year, in the lead up to Airdrie Fair Day, there was a, there was a huge excitement in the town amongst the Airdrie fans, particularly, and we we felt that we were coming to the end of an era of austerity, and. Uh, Tom had put his money behind the club going full time, and we we were we had decanted to Ravens Craig, and there was some positive signings, and and it looked like the club was on an upward trajectory. So, twelve months later, it's it's disappointing that we're back to actually a worse situation than we were before Tom Witherspoon arrived. And if if Tom does decide to walk away, which you know we don't know if he will or not, I, I'm struggling to see how the club's going to make ends meet. And we've made commitments to players, we've made commitments to Ravens Craig, we've got a, a rental agreement with the stadium, and the revenues that's coming in basically don't match the, the, the outgoings that we've committed to. So there's there's a real concern about the, the, the sustainability and the viability of the club at the minute. So I think that, that Tom's vision for the club was solid and it was sound, but he perhaps didn't understand the club, its mentality, the mentality of the, the fans, and he, he kind of underestimated perhaps the the degree of um, resentment. Probably resentment's a good word. I mean, the the, 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 the demise since the nineties that we were talking about is something that uh, was was managed or, or mismanaged by a series of different people who were in charge of the club, and and a lot of fans blame that series of, of uh, owners and chairmen and directors and, and to, to get us into the state that we're in. And the Ballantines came in, you know, and they've, they've kept the club afloat just um, but it, it's it's looking less and less likely that the club's ever going to get back to its, its kind of championship status that, that we had all come to take for granted in the past. Um, and I think Tom didn't understand that. And therefore, when things started to go wrong on and off the pitch, the degree of cynicism and the degree of um, frustration that was expressed perhaps took him aback. Yeah. He was putting a whole load of money into the club. He was, he was trying to move it in the direction that he felt it needed to be moved in. And every time there was any kind of setback, he was hearing the flack from the fans and perhaps you know, underestimated just, just how frustrated and how, how frightened the fans were that... You know, not only were we we're going to go back to the the the, the Ballantine kind of making ends meet mentality, but the, perhaps even the the KPMG, you know, are we going to survive at all um, situation? And I guess there's two two sides to that. So um, I, I've got a recollection. I may have made this up of 
Tom Weatherspoon when he came in kind of saying I want you to be a championship team but I don't mean just like surviving in the championship I want us to be competing at the top end to which yeah that sounds great uh, all very exciting but that needs a level of it needs a level of investment or it needs to be really really shrewd appointments uh, and then when you start to struggle uh, in the league below so we didn't really compete that well uh, in either of the last two years in the league that we were in uh, you can see why fans who had got excited about oh we're going to be we're going to be up there kind of pushing Falkirk and trying to get into the Premier League maybe uh, we're not even holding our own against teams in the uh, in, in League One you, you can see why there would be a reaction so that's maybe we could have managed expectations better and when he did his BBC Alba piece he kind of said uh, it might not work but what we were doing before wasn't working so we may as well try it which is which is a fair statement uh, and maybe if we'd set out on that note uh, there would have been less scope for fans to be angry mm. I'm, sort of la- I'm sort of laughing Danny when you started this, this, this section with there's a lot of excitement in the lead up to Airdrie Fairday. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the first and did, only did, time that anybody has ever said that. If anybody's seen Rocky in the Walser last year, you'll know how much excitement there was in the town. <laughs> <laughs> no, but and, and more serious, and to be more serious, he made a lot of mistakes at the start, didn't he? You know, and I think that it, it seemed to be that sort of midway through last season, he was still fighting fires that. That, he'd, that had been created from either a previous regime or indeed his own, you know, bad decisions. You know, it, it might, it, it, in view of Eddie Balecki Black's, you know, unfortunate circumstances and whatever, I still think it was a poor decision to bring somebody as inexperienced and as that in the first instance. And, and he kind of bought into Balecki Black's bullshit about Airdrie trying to play like Barcelona, you know, passing the ball up the park like mercurial footballers that we weren't. You know, we could hardly pass the ball twice to each other, and yet we were supposed to be playing like Barcelona. So, you know, that was a whole footballing ethos that uh, that, that was never going to work at Airdrie. Um, I also think the whole idea of, while ambitious, going full-time in, in League One was, was very premature. You know, I, I, I would have been thinking that, you know, we... It's not unfeasible to get out of League One as a part-time, as a good part-time team, and then once you get to that position, uh, you know, you've been promoted. Then you think about you know going full-time with a bigger budget. You know, that's I think that. it's also be interesting to see what does what does full-time football mean, and it'd be good to get an ex-pros take. Uh, we could maybe. <laughs> I'd what does full time football mean? I think does it not does it not mean like going home at lunchtime and going to the bookies and stuff? Well, <laughs> but if uh, we'll have guys, uh, Stephen Dockery's probably been a mix of both over his career, uh, and to see kind of the, what's the difference between so Jamie Bain, as I understand it, kind of got offered full time terms at Airdrie, but if he was going to give up his day job, uh, he was going to be earning less money being full time than he was kind of getting a part time wage from Airdrie from Forth or whoever, and then topping that up with whatever he did so if you are the full time team in Scotland who pays the lowest wages which I think Adrian may well be uh, is that really a recipe for, for success so yeah I, I take your point I think you can get out of this like being a, a part time team Breakin have just done it um, and, Dumbarton Aloha and, and well, Dumbarton have showed that you can survive outside of this league well, as a part time they're kind of hybrid team. type of thing aren't they you know, have they not got some full time I don't know I heard their manager on off the ball the other week and he Seem to say that they were fully part time, but they managed to get Gregor Buchanan off 
from Vermin. So I, I think regardless of whether you're full-time or part-time, there's going to be a question of what's your, what's your budget? And it's going to be the better players you can get in uh, probably will reflect on the pitch. And Aloha, I think, probably had a better calibre of player than we did. They didn't finish 10 points above us in the league for, for no reason. So, yeah, maybe the move to full-time football, well, it sounds great. It's got to be a longer-term project. If you think you're going to get youth players through playing in a style and getting the benefit of those facilities, for that to happen in the first season just was too too optimistic. Yeah, Somebody I mean, said to me in one, in one fell swoop we'd, we'd move from being one of the best part-time teams in Scotland to the worst full-time team. Easily. easily. You know, so, you know, where, where was the wisdom in that? And I know yeah. that's maybe hindsight's a fine thing. Well, I mean, I do think there are a lot of things you can do as a full-time team, working as a team that you can do as a as a part-time team, you know, it's, it, it can't be easy, you know, coming home from your work and training twice a week and, you know, and then, then facing the wrath of Airdrie fans because you're not, you're, you're not as good as Ronaldo on, on a Saturday, but... Oh, I think there's, I mean, what, what Colin says there about the, um, you know, the, the, the financial rewards means that, you know, and, and you said it yourself, Alan, hindsight makes us all wise people, but... Keeping the best of our part-timers, Neil Parry, um, Brian Prunty, you know, so the, the, the core of a team that we dismantled at the end of the last season, keeping the best of them and then bringing through the young boys, but having the young boys on a, on a full-time basis and training them and developing them, but letting the part-time boys bring their experience on the Thursday and the Tuesday night and the, on the Saturday on the field, I think that would have been a, a more pragmatic way to get us out of this league and then a lot of those part-time guys would have moved on naturally and we could have replaced them with semi or more experienced full-time guys to, to consolidate our place in the championship. I think we bit off a bit more than, than we were able to chew and then when the fans turned against uh, the, the regime, Tom basically seemed to throw his dummy out the pram halfway through the season when he brought in um, DL and got rid of McBride and Black. The, he never spoke to the fans after that, and uh, you know the writing was on the wall from there. I think we all realised the Valentines were getting more and more involved, and they, they seemed to be running the club for the second half of the season. Um, so, you know, the, I think he overpromised, um, and he probably overpromised the fans, and and overpromised himself. He, he he admitted that he wasn't a football man; he was a football fan. Mm. You know, he liked football, he liked a style of football, and, but he, he wasn't a football man. And therefore, he relied on people who he felt were good football people. And, and a lot of those appointments turned out to be less than, less than the best, as we know. You know, there was the conveyor belt or the, 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 the rotating door at um, Ravens Craig was never, never stopped moving for the last 18 months, really. I guess, I guess the only thing there is from the kind of second half of the season on where you've changed your management team you've brought you've brought in Mensing you've brought in Hutton uh, it does suggest that at that point we did decide uh, or Tom Wotherspoon decided he would keep spending money to try and make sure we did catch the playoffs I, I know yeah yeah and I mean I'm not I'm not a statistical guy but I've seen statistics about you know the second half of the season and uh, you know, we we got rid of McBride and, you know, Black never recovered from his stroke, unfortunately. Um, but statistically, after we appointed, after we brought in DL and then appointed... Um, 
appointed Mark Wilson. Statistically, we were no better. In fact, probably a bit worse. Certainly defensively, we lost more goals. We scored less goals. Uh, and I don't think any of us really seen a, a great change in the organisation or the commitment and fitness of the, 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 the team um, in the second half. So the changes that he made showed that there was a, a, a strong desire um, to, to progress and, and reach and hopefully get through the playoffs. But ultimately, I don't think the changes worked. If anything, the, the, I thought the quality of football at times deteriorated. You know, oh, I, I, we I resorted to long ball, for, uh, for one thing. Straight away, the, the whole pass from the back philosophy just seemed to be dispensed with. For and I know it was a bit mad at times. It was almost like pass it out for the back at all costs. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there, there was at least a, there was a game plan there that was kind of, it was fairly evident and, and McBride might find himself, you know, feeling a wee bit hard done to that, that, that he was replaced by, you know, a, another, inexpe- back to these inexperienced managers again. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I suppose that that touches on the fact that maybe, that maybe Tom Otherspoon can't be held responsible for the, the Wilson ap- appointment. I, I imagine it's quite difficult to try and persuade a, a director of football to come on board to make decisions and the first of the decision that, that Dale makes is a managerial one. You know, Wotherspoon can't come along behind that and say, I don't agree with your choice of manager. So, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't lay the, the, the blame of, a, of an appointment of another inexperienced manager necessarily. Oh, no, I wouldn't, blame, I wouldn't blame at all. But I, mean, I would the, blame Dale. Yeah, well, the, 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 both the appointments, you know, Black's appointment and then Wilson's appointment were made by the, the, the kind of the in-between between Tom and, and that playing staff, you know, in terms of what was stupidly called a chief executive and then a director of football, both are terms that I don't think really belong in the third tier of Scottish football anyway. Um, but Tom delegated those decisions to people and those people made poor appointments, but it was Tom that appointed those people that made those decisions in the first place. I think he'll be he will be disappointed and frustrated. You know, I don't think that Tom Tom was anything but honourable and and ambitious and 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 you know genuine with his ambition. Um, and I'm just really sad and sorry that it went so sour so quickly. Do we think that the squad was good enough, or to put it another way, I think you can make a real argument that third place was probably about about right for that group of players. I think. Andy Ryan was an absolute find and was probably the difference between us being in one set of playoffs or the other because the number of goals that he scored and important goals as well uh, I think got us up there uh, Ian Russell I think after a shaky start and a couple of stupid red cards uh, really knuckled down and chipped in with a good number of goals as well um, but other than that I'm struggling to think of players that other teams in the league would, would in the same way that they came in last year and wanted Creighton, Lithgow what Cadden would would you would you pinch any of Airdrie's players if you were uh, Air United just now? I think Scott Stewart did very well coming in and playing playing it right back. I didn't I didn't fancy him as much in the middle of the park. I think the game tends to pass him by a wee bit, but I thought he acquitted himself pr- pretty well. Um, this, I mean, Scott Scott Stewart was you know the difference between Scott Stewart and the majority of the squad last year was commitment and you know there was a, there was a, to me there was a general lack of commitment there was a lack of enthusiasm on the pitch if you like you know there wasn't really a fighting spirit that 
we've become used to with Airdrie and you know this, this siege mentality, this battling against the odds, it just didn't seem to exist there. There seemed to be a lot of guys that felt that they were they could coast and they could coast through the league and uh, whether or not they've got the the, the kind of the, the raw talent, um, they sh- certainly didn't show the commitment that, that um, was worthy of Tom Witherspoon's investment and the success of the squad or the, the, the failure of the squad I would put down to how much was invested against what the return on that investment was and if you look at how much was spent by Alloa or how much was spent by Livingston and you know the, the, the relative success or failure of those clubs and certainly Brecon, I think Airdrie's season from a business perspective was it was an abject failure last season but do you think that we because I reckon that Aloha and Livingston would have spent more than us and finished above us well, I think I, I think Livingston would have I, I can't see how Aloha would have I mean Aloha's part time as well I know they're part time but I think it's back to that the calibre of player that you get so it was Graham Holmes on more or less money than uh, some of our central midfielders I don't we don't know mm. but I, I get I, I and even just Getting Jim Goodwin in as player manager, I, I, we don't know. It'd be interesting to see, but I, and in the def- defence of the team, I think the third place. I just think the third place was probably about right, and and part of the angry reaction to the fans is probably because expectations are we're a big club, we're a bigger club than Alloa, we're a bigger club than Dumbarton. We probably see ourselves as a bigger club than Queen of the South. But what, what do we base that on? And kind of back to the past glories that we that we started on and actually in the last 10 years there's li- there's little to back up that we that we are and even in the attendance front uh we're we don't look like a big club at all we still had the best attendance in the i think in the league the, best, the best average attendance and uh, you know I, I think the there is a fan base there that is prepared and 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 willing to come out and back a, a, a winning team but they haven't seen a winning team for 15 years and you know i'd, I'd count the three of us around here as three of the, the hardest of diehards, but sometimes even for me it's a struggle on a Saturday to to look out at the pissing rain and think, right, am I going to go and sit in that freezing cold stadium watching that for £16? And yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, spot on. And it is uh, it's astounding that we had the highest average attendance because I think it says something about Airdrie compared to Livingston. For you mm-hmm. to win the league at a canter uh, and not have a higher attendance than us where we had... The, the, day, the day Livingston won the league, they played Aloha, who at the time I believe were sitting second, and I think there was there was less than 1,100 at the game. You know, we had 1,600 plus at the Albion Rovers game, which at that time was a mid-table kind of, you know, New Year's Day um, derby, so... Comparing ourselves to Livingston in terms of the fan base, I think you know we could rest assured that we are uh, we're, we're a bigger club than them that way. But we're not as well run a club as as Livingston, and we're not as ambitious a club as Livingston because the Livingston and their directors, uh, board of directors, were prepared to sustain significant losses last season to make sure that they came back up, and they brought in the calibre of players that ensured that they they, they went back up. Appointments, I think we. We alluded to it, but I think that's one of the points that we've got jotted down as to uh, considering more for the the Wotherspoon era. So, uh, as you pointed out when we spoke last, there are names that you kind of forgot, like Kevin Harper. Uh, He was there for, I think, about two months. Uh, We've, I don't know if we mentioned him by name, but Ian King was in as chief exec for a year. Uh, Hugo Faria. On on the plain side, uh, yeah. Faria, Botang, Schmidt, uh, 
Taylor. Taylor Morgan. Was that the season before? The season before. It's but all blending it's in. It's, it's, all, now, it's, all within, <laughs> it's all within the era. Uh, I'm just thinking a list of players that are shorter when they, when they jump for a ball than they are when they're just standing. <laughs> uh, and, well, I guess then we've also got Danny Lennon in the in the mix, uh, McBride coming in and going back out again as coach and leaving the club. So Andy Gorham. Indeed. So a lot of money's invested, I guess, must have been, you mentioned that, on kind of fires had to be put out, which would have been expensive. Ah, uh, money will have gone out of the club on, on basically nothing, you know, which, which, you know, if you're talking in the realms of £50,000 or something, you know, to, to, to pay people to go away. That that's that that must be really frustrating for an investor when yeah. when you've not got that much to spend no. and you think what you could have done. That's another that's another couple of wages, you know, another couple of decent players somewhere along the way. Yeah. Um, and and we probably were only a couple of decent players away from, you know, not quite easily getting promoted. But oh, we, uh, we, we but lost, we, even this season it was a penalty shootout. I mean, we can, the fact that we caught the playoffs was down to two really good results, and for a team that I would have questioned their spirit to go away to East Fife. And get that result in the second last game of the season, and even just the reaction to going one down to Queens Park in the the, the last game of the the normal season was pretty impressive. Well, maybe, maybe that, maybe that's you know sort of Danny's comment about them. I've been lacking a little bit of spirit. Maybe that that that's a problem. I I never felt that it comes down to the inexperienced managers again. There wasn't a motivating force coming off the bench. There certainly wasn't a leader on the park. At, uh, a, at any point, uh, and we haven't had a proper decent captain. I don't think for 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 long and weary that you know that really lets people know what it means to be a yeah a, a, an airdrie player, uh-huh. whatever that is. But uh, I mean, the, the the fact is, you know, a coach at the, at the level that we we are finding ourselves is the coach is about getting the most out of the limited resources that he's got available to him. The likes of an Ian McCall is, is an expert at that, and, and actually Bolin was better at it than I, I would argue either uh, Black, McBride, or Wilson. Better organised. I, I, I never felt it was particularly exciting. But it wasn't it was, exciting, but, but it, was it was like was the Craig organized. Brown. It was like the, the Craig Brown thing, right? We know our limitations, so let's play within those limitations and, and do what we need to do to to progress as far as we can. Um, and uh, I mean, there were highlights. There was a, there was a, the the run, ironically, at the end of McBride's reign, and then at the beginning of Wilson's, where we, we were on fire. Um, and then towards the end of the season, you know, when when we did scramble into the playoffs, I thought some of the football when we played was was, was really good, and and the the commitment and the the attitude was there. There was half an hour that we played at. At Hamden the first time against Queen's Park and that was probably the best half an hour of football I've seen Airdrie play in over 20 years you know it was it was, it was good stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I mean there were highlights there were highlights and, and I think there was you know wrapping up on, on, on Wotherspoon's reign if Wotherspoon's reign is at an end you know I think there was a mixture of bad luck lack of understanding and and poor decisions that, that combined to to make a shrewd businessman realised that he was just throwing good money after bad. There was that slightly unholy alliance with Hamilton Ackies as well, wasn't there? You know, I think there was the. I kept feeling that we were getting foisted upon us, 
you know, poor quality youth players that were that, that were not really any better. In fact, probably worse than than the, than the guys we had. I didn't feel Scully and added anything to it. And I remember Sumsky was going to be the next mm-hmm. the next White Hope. He was a something special. And and honestly, you know, our guys, the 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 Connor McLaughlins, the Dean Cairns of the world, these were better players than the guys that were coming in. And it was almost like we were contractually obliged to play them because our guys hardly got a hardly got a look in. Um, and that did seem to be, or there does seem to be, and this exists throughout Scottish football. There is a there is a kind of mates mentality going on there, and it's you know who who you know and and, and calling in favours from people that you know, and and you know bringing up the guy uh, Mackay from from Leeds, you know. That was a disaster. He's still out. There. He's still up at Excelsior trying to put the ball in the net <laughs> right now. Tonight, I saw him. I saw him chasing after Elton John at the end of the concert. Really? <laughs> what are you trying to say here? Well, <laughs> well, Elton John's in his 70s now. He's still had more speed than him. <laughs> <laughs> On the Aki's end, so I've got a very strong memory of going there kind of early days of uh, Airdrie post-administration. So probably when we had a great team with McGowan, McLaren, etc., uh, and Aki's brought out their youth teams, I think, from about under 10s or something all the way up. Uh, and it was this really bizarre scene where they all had full Aki's kit on, so it looked great. There was more of them on the pitch by the end of halftime than there was in the stands. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of a club as a way forward, I think it would be great if we could replicate that and really fund the youth system to that level. Uh, McCarthy and McCartney might even have been on the pitch that day and you see how much money they will have made. I guess it's just, it's a risk. So you need to be prepared to fund it and you might never bring through a player at that level. But worst case scenario, should help the, t- the, the team's reputation within the town, should help with community. But it's, I guess it's just money. So if you've got limited budget, what makes the fans happy is a winning first team and we probably don't really care how the under 14s are doing uh, well that's right and and uh, do you not think it's very much a it's, you said you said exactly right it is a risk it's even a risk in terms of getting the timing right you know knowing Airdrie being Airdrie we would foster two or three of the greatest footballers in the world and they would all fall out of contract at the one time and slip off on a freebie to Falkirk or something like that you know there's, there's too many factors going against that total focus on youth. See, I'm not interested, like, you, like you're saying, I'm not that interested. I want to see a winning team in the park. And what was it Alan Hansen said? Youths don't win you trophies. Yeah, you win nothing with kids. But yeah. he said that about Man United as they went on to win the treble, I think. Uh, <laughs> the only protection you've got there, and it's quite interesting, when Tony Watt moved from Celtic to Belgium for, I think, about a million pounds, if you've brought a player through your youth system, then if he moves country to country, so you'd need to go Scotland to England or... Scotland elsewhere, you get 10% of the transfer fee. So uh, I think Airdrie got about between 60 and 100,000 when he moved to Celtic, but they would have got another 100,000 when he moved to Belgium. Which disappeared into our balance sheet, probably somewhere. Yeah. I mean, never saw the light may, of it. May well have offset losses. I, you, you, you don't know. But if you can be pulling through one player like that every five years, be realistic. It may, and maybe that's over optimistic. It, it can start to add up. But you're right. I mean, it's a total risk and if you've only got X amount of money you'd put it in the first team. And and I mean you're talking about five, ten years solid investment without any return before that starts to, to bear any kind of fruit. Um and you know, you then need to continue that investment to keep the to to bring through the next generation. And you're already seeing Hamilton, you know, Ham- Hamilton's a club I would say that are 
on the demise. You know, they, 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 they've spent that money. The, 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 that investment happened. They spent the money from those transfers. They, 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 they barely scraped through in the, the Premier League this season and, and they're probably likely to struggle until they are eventually relegated and that's probable because the guys that put that initial money in got what they wanted out of it and, and walked away so that, developing a conveyor belt of talent that can be sold on is something that needs deep pockets do you think the Rovers are heading towards becoming the number two team in Lanarkshire then? <laughs> uh, apparently I've been over to the eight fans that they're player of the year, Dan. So. Eight? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, I mean, on a serious note though, I mean, if you if you look at the, the, the Rovers and, and, you know, they beat us twice at home this season and, and beat us well. And and the anger uh, the, towards the, 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 the team and the the management team about that, uh, you know, those were historic records that were broken there. And the guys in the dugout just didn't get it. They didn't. It's always the gauge, isn't it? They didn't. If we don't really. be the Rovers, for, uh, it's a clubbing it's, crisis, it's, really, isn't it? It's, 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 it's a local gauge and it's a petty gauge, but it's a gauge nonetheless, you know. And the fact that we got beat 5 0 by Steinhaus Muir at home and then we get beat at home. That was the worst. That. I think that was probably the, the lowest point for me. And uh, these, these, Steinhaus Muir, you know. How many times in actual fact last season and the season before did we lose at home to a team that was sitting either bottom of the league or second bottom of the league? Mm. Now that's back to the commitment thing again. These teams are not as good as us mm. and yet we couldn't beat them. Mm-hmm. I think siege mentalities are interesting things. So Alex McDonald's shtick was all about nobody likes surgery. Uh, and it, uh, if you meet some of these players now, they still are brainwashed into that that's what they were up against, everything. Uh, and that's, he used that to great effect. He had great cup runs uh, and, and, and it worked for us. And I think the fans liked it too. What doesn't work so well is the siege mentality we had this year where uh, we Our seem goal to... goal was in a siege. Uh, well, <laughs> and, and also, uh, we seem to have the the management team or we had the video coming on the Airdrie Supporters Facebook page kind of sticking up for the players on the back of results like you've, that you've just described. Uh, and if you don't make it as a full-time player at Airdrie, I think the players need to, re- to realise then that's you. This is kind of... You're that's that's as far as your career's going to go. Exactly. So if you want to sit there and, and kind of think, oh, well, uh, the fans are terrible, the fans are on our back, we're working really hard. If you are working really hard and you can't beat St- and you're losing 5 0 to Stenny at home, then I'm sorry. But yeah, th- you, that, should that, maybe, you should maybe try Asda for a. <laughs> you know. And, that's, and that, that's brutal, but I can't see how the management can. On the back of results like that, we changed coach. So the club obviously were of the same opinion as the fans. And it was just, it's that uncomfortably with me that there seemed to be uh, management swearing at fans. Or on the back of results like that, they should just have been saying, look, we agree, it's out of order. It's we're working enough. really hard and we're going to try and turn it around. And we're, we're trying to make the playoffs, which we did do in the end. So uh, having that kind of us and them just didn't work. And it'll probably put fans off. And something to be avoided. Definitely. I mean, I think uh, uh, for the club to become an asset to Airdrie um, and not be a football force, it needs to be an integral part of, and a positive part of the community. And, you know, it needs to make a positive contribution to all aspects of the community. And it hasn't for a long time. And, you know, the fans themselves have picked up that mantle to a larger extent. Um, 
but I think the club needs to get wise that if, if it's going to enjoy the patronage and the sympathy of the community and the business community within Airdrie, it needs to become a positive force there. It needs to contribute something back into the town. But, but maybe we're now needing, at the position then that we're now needing new investment. Is that not? Maybe we're needing a Russian oligarch or somebody to come in and... and uh, Do you and know any? Do I know any? I know, <laughs> I, I know plenty of them. I think, I think Airdrie's quite an attractive place, actually, for... For a, for a Russian oligarch to get involved, don't you think? I mean, look at that, look at that big Oars building there. You know, they could they could use that as a, could, to to have stock in there. You know, old jeans and and uh, iPads and things like that to send back to Russia. That dead bodies. Of, that dead <laughs> bodies. You've got to say as well, people in Airdrie, people in Airdrie drink vodka at breakfast time, don't they? As well, you know, there's there's a lot to be said. There's an attraction there for a for a Russian oligarch. You know, people, places in Airdrie look like post-war, post-war Stalingrad, don't they? Chernobyl. Chernobyl, <laughs> uh, absolutely. A Rus- a, an oligarch could come over and they could get, you know, 10% off at Chunky Monkeys. You know, that's, that's, something to, that's, that's not to be sneezed at. Um, Ross over there, you could get, could get the guy a, a signed top, signed by Alexander Putin, you know? <laughs> the guy could come in and moor his yacht up at the boathouse up in Croy, you know? Get a wee snack good off the lunchtime pie, menu. Get a good pie, steak yeah. pie yeah. up there, absolutely. And we've got nine nine signed f- f- first team players. You know, it could be a lot worse. You know, so come on, Alexander, whatever your name is. Elton John played here recently as well. Eh? I mean, he he must be considered kind of cutting edge rock and roll in, in Russia <laughs> at the moment. So you know, everybody's still buying those records. Eh? Oh, there's lots. You know, I th- I think we should be going down that route. I mean, we need we we need some sort of investment. There needs to be something other than. Without that, what are we talking about? Uh, some kind of managed decline. Again, that's kind of what it feels like. I was quite enthusiastic at the start of last season, but I feel very unenthused to the point of this is worse than, than it has ever been before going ahead. And I think if we don't get a half-decent manager in, we're looking at relegation. That said, the league is garbage. And I think even with limited resources, you get the right manager in place as suppose Brecon have proven, as Dumbarton have proven, if you get the right man in place and a core of guys that are going to play for you, I still think we could we, 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 we could we could challenge there you go, that's my enthusiastic drug induced <laughs> <laughs> opinion for the day You're listening to the OTL podcast with me Colin Telford, Alan Porteous and Danny Lambie, coming to you from the Post and Calder Bank We've kind of been a bit doom and gloom so uh, had we won the Euro Millions and we buy the club, uh, looking back at hindsight being great and with the money in our pocket to invest, or even without the money in the pocket to invest, you've managed to buy the club. With an interest-free loan. Interest-free loan. <laughs> with no firm day of repayment. <laughs> uh, the club's now yours. What are you going to do in the, the kind of short to, to mid-term future to, to, to make Airdrieonians great again? Well, the first thing I would do is look at the governance of the club. I think for a long time, uh, since since we went into liquidation or before we went into liquidation, there, there hasn't been a proper board of directors. And I think we need to bring in a, a board of directors who represent different opinions, different perspectives and bring different skill sets so that we can take advantage of that as a, as a, as a collective unit. I think the fans need to be represented at that and you know, have a meaningful say and provide that link back to the community. And I think the stadium needs to be involved in it as well. I think the, the, 
The um, war of attrition between the club and the stadium does nobody any favours. The stadium needs the club to be successful and the club needs the stadium um, as its its heart and soul in, in, in the community. So the first thing for me is the governance. The second thing is how we get out of this league. And I think we need to throw aside any ideology about, you know, full-time, part-time style of football. And we need to be really pragmatic. We need to bring in a manager who can get the most out of the limited resources. Somebody that's been round the block a, a, a few times. Combine the, the best of the part, uh, the best of the full-time guys that we've got with the best of the part-time guys that we can pick up. And and something which Bowling, I think, was, was good at and, and more often than not, used alone system to our advantage to get us out of this league and once we're out of this league we can then look at a three five year plan yeah uh, loan loan signings i mean scott fraser liam Lindsay, with some absolutely brilliant players on loan gaspar otto as well uh, that's a good one exactly i edward it makes a, a huge difference uh, on an experienced manager so devil's advocate here he's not popular because he doesn't go to games uh, but gordon dale has experience as a manager uh, how could he be the manager if he's not at the game on the well, saturday if that changes, would would you? There's a question for you. Would you would you take him? He wouldn't be my first choice. He wouldn't be problem in my top ten. And I think the problem is that's probably where it sits with the fans. Uh, but it may well be the most likely outcome with how uh, how things are just now. Well, my, my understanding of the situation is Dale was brought in by Witherspoon because they're good friends. Now, if Witherspoon isn't going to be involved or is going to be involved a lot less what DL's commitment to the club will be I'm not sure you know we were told repeatedly that DL was in there to help Wotherspoon out and if Wotherspoon's no longer looking for that help I don't know what advantage DL gets out of uh, staying there I don't know I could be wrong Um, I think he's been out of the game particularly the lower leagues for so long that he he doesn't understand the environment that he's working in, he wouldn't be able to wheel and deal and make the most out of average players. It's a very naive point to make. I, I think I would just be delighted if we had a manager that could motivate the troops a wee bit and would play with two men up front consistently and try and win games and not try and lose them. That's, that, that's it in a, in a nutshell for me. It's, I think we're, bizarrely we're almost beyond the point of just grinding out results as well because I think we desperately need to have another 500 people, you know, bums on seats, you know, and, 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 you know, it's not just about winning games and grinding out one nothing victories and whatever. I think it's all about entertaining people and getting a, getting a, a feeling about the town that Airdrie are worth actually going to see. Everything about Airdrie for the last 15 years has been about survival. I know. That's what it feels like. Aye, you know? How are we going to survive? How are we going to pay the, the wages next week? How are we going to pay the stadium? You know, and it, it would be nice if we could just, as you say, be a wee bit more relaxed and actually enjoy the football. Yeah, I know, but we can't be the worst. The thing is, we get that this kind of rhetoric all the time. But we, you know, there are so many other teams that seem to grasp the net a wee bit that they can't be in any better a position than us, and yet we are constantly being foisted this. We're, you know, we're very limited and we're only doing what we can do and whatever, you know, are, are, are the folk at Brecon saying that just now, you know, they're, they're, they've got promoted and they're, you know, and, and, you know, good on them for, for doing so, you know, I, I think there's an aspiration there rather than sitting in a wee corner all doom and gloom and, and worrying about, you know, if we could only just survive this year and you've got to understand we're a, 
we're a we're a tiny team, we're a small budget, or we're, we're a small nation. Oh no, I slept in the Scotland speak here, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, having said, we need to get this doom and gloom and kind of come up with a bright end. I've got grave concerns about the future for Airdrie. I think the uh, average attendances tell their own story. If it continues in that trend, I can't see any future and I'm not convinced that we would get through another administration if that was what's to happen again. However, uh, as you say, I don't think we're the only ones and I think maybe we need to... I think Scottish football's got that problem. I drove past McDermott Park today, Airdrie when they played St Johnston and decided probably had a bigger crowd for an Airdrie St Johnston game than you would for St Johnston against either half of the old firm now. Uh, so football's changed and we're not the only ones. Um, I think the model needs to change. I think an over-reliance on uh, gate money, just gate receipts just doesn't work. Uh, and I, I, th- I wrote in the, the last Only the Only, I think you need to move to something else. I think it should be a crowdfunding model. Alan, you pointed out one one slight problem with that one. Yes, yeah, you, you need a crowd for crowdfunding, <laughs> don't you? Yeah. And uh, We had 1,600 at the Albion Rovers game. Uh, we also, I mean, if you look at, it's not a big thing, but the, the Facebook page that's been set up for Airdrie fans, there's over a thousand people on there. There are people who want to see Airdrie do well, uh, who don't go to games or only come to games occasionally. And uh, I think the key, and I'm not saying it's easy, would be trying to get those people involved in a way where they'd be happy to invest in the club because they could see what the picture was. I think that comes back to all Danny's points. You need to have uh, you need to have a vision that they can buy into. So that probably means changes at the top just because everything's so tired as it is just now. But if you've got a new way forward and you can be open with the fans, why can't you put out, here's our accounts from last year. Some of you seem to think that we're creaming off £50,000 every year. That's not actually what it looks like. It costs us this much for the, the stadium. It costs us this much for the, the, the players. If we can crowdfund X amount, it covers all that, and rather than £16 in, it's going to be £8 in, and you can start to try and reverse that decline of the attendances, or even if you could raise enough money, you make it, it's free to come to the football, it's it's ambitious, I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do, but if you've only got an attendance that we have at the moment, it's not actually bringing in that much money, and so to cover it in some other way, maybe by having a key sponsor who you give shirt sponsorship stadium rights and anything else that they want to try and get them to stump up a big part of that money, it might just be doable. I also think that nobody seems to be having fun. We've sat down and spoke here about Airdrie for however many minutes and it's... It's not not been fun, has it? No. (laughs) uh, And it's freezing. Imagine you you were listening to it. Oh, jeez. There won't Uh, be many listening by this stage, don't worry. If you've got Netflix, I'd encourage you to watch this movie. And if you've not got Netflix, find a mate that hasn't got his password. It's called The Battered B-Word of Baseball. And it's a story about the Portland Mavericks. It's more about the journey that that club went on than it is about the sport. Uh, And so uh, I think we need to find some way uh, to get Airdrie fans involved in a project where they are part of the club and they can see it taking a, a different direction. Uh, Airdrie fans love a project. If you look at the last few years, we've had Sammy Shelter, Kit Aids going into its fourth run. Uh, you've got the F Cancer, we'll see, so that we're being polite, uh, project which Mark run, but also which the club and the fans and his friends bought into. Sensory rooms going on at the moment, uh, great work there. 
Aaron's Garden. There's a lot of things where if you can tell people what you're trying to achieve and show them the way that they can help, I think you can do it. Uh, and I think we need something like that because otherwise it is a manage, it's not even a managed decline really, is it? It's, it's sad, but it's a decline. The tendencies are going down and and the football's reflecting that. And if we've got someone who actually was prepared to put some money in and he's sick of it as well, it might be even worse than that. So I think we need to try and come up with a different innovative model. Uh, and and if we don't do it, then I can't see anything except it being even smaller this time next year. The people's cooperative of Airdrie, that's what you're asking for. We've got Karl Marx in the room here. Oh, the, the Russians will love it. <laughs> yeah, back to that oligarch again. He's going to come in. He's going to be delighted to come in. You've maybe just been too polite there, Colin. You know, all this F cancer and stuff. Maybe you just need a good swear. Maybe we all just need a good swear. We should all just shout and swear. You've been putting a different podcast category if you do that. Our our listenership's going to be small enough, Alan. Just release the frustrations. Come on, let's get a wee sweary going. Bums. (laughs) Big jobby. (laughs) There you go. I feel better already. And on that note... (laughs) (laughs) A big jobby. (laughs) That's all for the first Only the Lonely podcast. A big thanks to you all for listening and to Danny and Alan for being on the panel. We have had a complete reliance on Ross Owen for making this idea a reality. As well as bringing us to the airwaves, Ross has also been responsible for having A-list celebrities sign Airdrie jerseys and the funds from the subsequent auctions have helped the sensory room massively and I know that that's much appreciated. Thank you, Ross. We'd encourage you to support one of our own in return. And Ross's show is on Black Sky Radio at 8pm every Friday. You can also hear previous editions on www.therossowenshow.com. You can contact the podcast via Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Uh, this has been a pilot edition but it is the intention to record monthly. And so feedback together with suggestions for topics, guests, features etc. would be much appreciated. Thanks to the Post and Calder Bank for being our venue for tonight's recording.